podcast. This is Coaches Rising podcast for transformational coaches, practitioners who care about doing deep transformative work with their clients. And this is episode number 60. And it's a it's an exquisite episode. The next two are going to be really exquisite. I'm going to be talking with Erica Ariel Fox, who is a New York Times bestseller, uh, creator of the Winning From Within methodology, and she's the co-founder of Mobius Executive Leadership. And we're going to be exploring the deep transformational work that she does with her clients. She works with senior CEOs and leaders in, in, in global companies. And so we're going to talk about some really beautiful things. We're going to talk about the power of myth, of the mythopoetic to catalyze our growth. We'll talk about Jung and Campbell. And we'll talk about the core archetypes that Erica has within her powerful work, the dreamer, the thinker, the lover, and the warrior. And Erica's going to share a story about a client uh, from a workshop. And we just want to share with you that we got explicit permission, or she got explicit permission from this client to share this story. She doesn't share examples of people's stories without their permission. The other thing is we're going to weave a bit of music into this podcast. Erica is going to talk about, yeah, she how she... Um, uses music to open this potent transformational space in her groups. And so the three songs that we'll play clips from, really beautiful songs, uh, May I Suggest by Red Molly, How Could Anyone by Libby Roderick, and How Can I Tell You by Cat Stevens. So if you are touched by these songs i just want to invite you to support the artists to to buy these songs and uh, they're really beautiful songs i've bought them and we'll link to them as well in the show notes for this podcast so a little bit more about erica ariel fox i said she's a new york times bestseller uh, she's uh, runs mobius executive leadership and she's coaching and advising some of the most senior leaders in the organizations she works with. She's also a common contributor to Forbes, to Bloomberg and Harvard Review. And she teaches negotiation at Harvard University. And if you're listening to this and you're not on our mailing list, Coaches Rising mailing list, I just want to invite you to do so. If you go to coachesrising.com. On that home page there, scroll down, you'll find a sign-up box and you'll stay in the loop about upcoming podcasts. So sit back and relax wherever you are right now. Thanks for tuning in. If you're driving in your car or you're walking through a forest or you're, or you're sat in your house, without further ado, here is Erica Ariel Fox. Let's just continue from here because, um, you know, I, um, I'm getting inspiration from Joe Rogan here. Like we could do that all, that whole, like, Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, Erica. But actually, you know, we've just been talking and had a really, um, moving conversation already, uh, just connecting and yeah. about what's happening in the world with, um, you know, the coronavirus. And, um, so what we, we're going to explore, I think it's going to be a big part of our, um, conversation today. And um, I'm just, just how are you doing first? Like, it's nice to be with you. How's things? Yeah, yeah I feel it's, um, 
that we were just saying it's an unbelievable time to have this conversation and it's an unbelievable time to navigate not just helping clients but for ourselves i mean this is an earth-shattering moment and i was saying that i feel bizarrely present and detached from it because i live in new york city but i'm here in the netherlands and uh, as you are and it's very calm here right now it's very quiet so trying to feel into what's happening and get beyond reading the news and actually let it penetrate me and my being feels hard feels challenging and at the same time i think having a sense of center and calm not feeling anxious not feeling rattled is actually in this moment a helpful thing to provide and so my actual true inner experience right now is i feel very centered i feel calm i feel resourced and not panicked and i feel what you helped me articulate i feel guilty about being far away and i'm also telling myself that wanting to share thoughts ideas writing and supporting people is not a bad thing that i have a little detachment from the actual panic mm. but it's mind blowing to read the news it's absolutely mind blowing and it's a lot of suffering a yeah. lot a lot of suffering yeah 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 um yeah each time we acknowledge that i i just like to take a moment just to not rush over that and and allow it to kind of to to land in my body because it does feel like um really an important part of this practice you know of how can we serve in these times and um and you talked about center as well i think that's something really important that we'll talk about as we move through our conversation and um well, maybe, is it okay with yeah. you if i close my eyes when we're talking oh yeah absolutely I'm, yeah I'm right with you but like i yeah. can't yeah. it's easier for me to drop in when i'm not yeah. you know talking to you but i'm talking for yeah. myself to you yeah please do and and i do that too sometimes so yeah no absolutely yeah um i think to begin with it would be it would be good to just know like um how are you helping the leaders you're working with right now um you know the the listeners a lot of people are coaches and i you know i think we've acknowledged what an important role coaches can play in these times and um just curious to know like the kinds of leaders you're supporting and and really like how are you doing that right now I feel in this moment less inclined to give developmental coaching to clients, less inclined to help them on their learning journey and more showing up to be a holding container for what they're going through. I've talked to a bunch of CEOs in the last week or two and they've all said to me they feel part of their role is to present as calm and centered and write letters to employees and you know being encouraging. Someone said to me last night I have to be a cheerleader. because people are getting so worried like someone would say people said that you seemed worried in that meeting or someone said you looked distressed um and he's saying clearly people can't tolerate any signal from me that says i'm concerned this isn't going to work out okay and that leaves me nowhere but you my coach advisor you know trusted confidant to say i really feel a lot of stress and this is really tough mm. so just creating a space where someone can say that confidentially to someone they trust someone who they know doesn't judge them someone who knows that they're you know in this for the long haul with this person 
I mean, you always want to provide empathy and support to a client, but I think this is extreme. This is an extreme moment where you have to really create a lot of inner holding space so that that person can really rest in your presence and feel held. Mm. Because to an extreme, I think they're feeling that what their inner reality is that they show paradoxically in this moment is not the authenticity that we all often call them towards. What I'm hearing from people is that and paradoxically in this moment showing vulnerability to the masses as opposed to a few trusted people is actually not the loving and caring and compassionate presence of a senior leader in this crisis that people are feeling a need to know someone's sturdy, someone's solid, someone has the reins. And I feel giving a supportive space to those people where they are vulnerable, where they can be authentic, where they can share the range of what they're experiencing is hugely critical for them right now. Um, that's what I'm trying to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do yeah, you think that, that's, that feels strange to say maybe not showing your complete, authentic, vulnerable experience is best because that's obviously not what we would normally advise people to do. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And it was one that uh, like, I actually not almost asked back to you because I was like, yeah, you know, exactly. That's not how we would normally be, you know, um, at what, what we would be normally advocating to the people we work with, would it, you know? Um, and um, often that's not what they're wanting either. They recognize that, um, you know, that, it, that actually in these times before the coronavirus, they're being called into a kind of authentic kind of leadership. Exactly. exactly. And I've and, often told yeah. my clients, you know, when I'm working with them, uh, like, again, I imagine many of the skilled, experienced coaches who are listening to this, it's one of our core missions or purposes to enable people to get past a business persona, to get past, you know, the performance aspect and really be who they are to be fully human and to be visible in that humanity. Uh, and so this, I think, is a really strange moment. So I have often told clients about a conference that I spoke at many years ago, and actually six or seven years ago, because I was working on the last parts of my book. And they were in a conference from Monday to Friday. I was speaking on Friday. So I came Thursday night so I could experience what was going on there. And I joined a circle of five people, and everyone was going around to do a check-in. And they were all saying how happy they were and how relaxed they were, you know, and how moving and inspiring. They've been at this thing for four days. And I said, I'm really exhausted. I'm super stressed about my book. I don't know how I'm going to get everything finished. And I got feedback after that check-in that I was really a downer and bumming people out and, like, that I was not contributing. And the next day, I gave my keynote, which was, you know, completely well-rehearsed, well-known. This is my lecture. These are my topics. These are my stories. And people came up to me after that and said, like, you were so present, you were so authentic, that was amazing. And I was super struck by it. Like, actually, you know, last night I was being authentic and present. Last night when I told you I was exhausted and stressed, that was actually my truth. And that was what was vulnerably true. Today, I'm performing. <laughs> Today, yeah. I'm doing a rehearsed keynote. So that's really confusing about what people want. Yeah. Do they want the truth? Do they want something that just inspires them, even though it's not the truth of a speaker? And I think for leaders, that is similarly a dilemma in general. 
and for what it's worth, what I'm finding in this crisis moment when people are so scared and the reality is people will lose their jobs. Businesses will be less secure. You know, um, people are under incredible pressure and people are incredibly legitimately frightened and scared. And so in this moment, and again, I'm curious what you think, I'm finding myself encouraging people to demonstrate a stable, solid holding presence for their organization and come to a coach to bring their depth of vulnerability because that's what seems needed. Yeah. I promise you in any other moment in this conversation is not the advice I would give, but that's what I'm experiencing. I, 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 I think there's wisdom in that. You know, actually, I, it's a great inquiry. You know, it's a great inquiry for all of us. And I don't know the, the answer, you know, because part of me is like, um, yeah, you know, we've acknowledged, yeah, that in normal times we would advocate a kind of authentic vulnerability. And, um, and then I'm, I'm like, yeah. And actually, and I'm, it's, it's interesting because I know this keeps getting put in the context of the war, um, you know, like we're in a war and, um, you know, I have qualms with that. Um, I think there's some good things about it, but I think there's, you know, it's limiting. But I somehow I'm thinking like that's just coming up for me as you talk. And, you know, would you want your, um, you know, commander in the, in the, you know, in your platoon or your, your group to, uh, how do you want them to be? And um, I'm, I'm I'm wondering whether there is like a, a kind of authenticity which is, um, you know, like is vulnerable yet, um, you know, on the other side of that kind of um, the potential for collapse or you know collapsing into that vulnerability, being afraid. There's like there's um, yeah, and what's the word here? You know, it's like these these feel like soul making times for me and perhaps there is a way that we can support leaders to kind of land and i like the way you use the word center because um there's perhaps something we can help people connect to which does have some vulnerability to it but it's also a kind of strength it has strength and uh, leadership and, and gravitas too and you know for me might even i might even use that word soul which we might have to unpack but it's like something very inspirational to people. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that when we ourselves are talking about authenticity and vulnerability, we all of us in this community, we're actually talking about a true depth of authenticity and vulnerability. And what I may be assuming, which is not true, is for many leaders, for many clients, it could be literally be authentic in who you are, not necessarily showing every feeling you have, But, for example, if you seem like a completely brainy, detached, somewhat robotic, unavailable, inaccessible person, yes, I don't mean that you should do that. (laughs) If you're a sort of cold, unfeeling, distant leader, even though deep down you're a great person, no, I'm not saying you should do that. So I don't mean hide who you are. Of course, I mean starting from the basic premise that you're not behind a mask, you're not hiding, you're not shielding yourself i don't mean that at all yeah so yes i think it's a soul making moment and it's a soul showing moment but i think the pain or the depth of fear or the depth of the challenge of leaning into uncertainty or beyond uncertainty which is literal incapacity to predict or know what's coming 
that that is, I think, better shared at this moment with a coach than it is yeah. with your team. Yeah, yeah. And the the I'm I, like that touches me, you know. That actually really touches me to think that there are leaders out there who are willing to to do that, you know, to to conduct that or to um, to be that kind of um, and what's the word I'm looking for? But you know, like steadfast in a way. And yeah, that's exactly. And then. Um, and then when they're with their coach, they're able to then process, you know, what everything that's happening. Like, I mean, that's, it's actually an incredible opportunity, isn't it? You know, in a way, even though it's, um, you know, no one would wish this situation on the world, you know, um, and, and there, there's going to be so many tragedies, countless and tragedies before this is over and and even that word over is questionable but mm-hmm. um it's also an incredible opportunity uh, for well and for also it, it goes into a little bit about the way i think about coaching or the way i frame coaching or i often call myself an advisor but it's the same thing in a lot of ways <laughs> which is helping people become so literate in their inner life and their inner experience that the way they lead in the outside world is a constant dance, the constant dialogue. But, you know, I know my own inner experience and I know what that creates in the world and I'm sensing what the world needs for me, which helps me be choiceful about my inner experience. And that's what I am coaching people to do and that's what I'm hearing, actually, at least the people that I've been working with over time. They're really working hard to do that. They're being very mindful, very choiceful, as we were just talking about. So this is my internal experience. As a CEO, I'm very stressed, I'm anxious, I'm sad, I'm also grieving, I'm concerned about the future, and I'm choosing in this moment, is this the time to share that with the people? Is this the time to be steadfast and let them know they can lean back? And I have I have them, I'm holding them. That's a lot of mindfulness. You know, that's mm. not just going into a meeting and, for example, yelling at people, snapping at people, you know, being very high-paced, you know, this is the agenda, we have to get these things done, these are the things, you know, targets fast, 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 which would be easy to do in this environment, right? And you would be not mindful that because you were stressed and anxious on the inside that you would start, even if you used to look for consensus, now you're just, you know, you think you have the right answer, you're telling people what to do. Right. I mean, I can hear it in myself, right? You know, you start just, we have 15 minutes, do it, boom, done. Um, and I think people who have the support of an outside coach who has their own spiritual practice who practices mindfulness who works on keeping their own center calm mm. you know are not just coaching people on what they do their communication strategy uh you know they're not they're not spending all of their time thinking about policies like should we let people work at home they are really mindfully navigating their inner experience and how that creates what they're doing in leadership mm. Yeah, beautiful. And I, I think that's an extraordinary challenge for clients, and mm. particularly people who haven't done this kind of work. So if you've been honing your own skills as a transformational coach over time, man, this is the moment where your clients need that. They mm. really need to be called to that deeper level of mindfulness and choicefulness yeah. and, and self-understanding. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I think that's the opportunity. The the this is the the call, isn't it, for coaches right now? And 
Um, how do you do that with your clients? How do you help them, you know, connect to themselves in that way? Well, my practice begins with people in an immersive in-person experience. And probably some people in the community do that, some people don't. But I work with people at a very deep immersive level for five days. Mm. And so I know them in a very deep and intimate way. And so when I talk to them, you know, we can drop into that pretty quickly because that's we have that experience with each other. And so, and that would be probably the same as someone who's had a coaching client for a long time. Right? They know each other, they know each other's patterns. And so I can call them back to that. I can call them, I can call it out if they're in a default pattern and remind them of who they really are, of who they want to become, of, you know, when they get into a default state, which for most of them is very staccato, it's very linear, it's very objective, it's very action-oriented. And that's not, that's a very real part of all of us, including executives, but obviously that's not the full breadth of who we are as human beings. So that's often what I'm doing. Mm. There's so many things. I just wrote down a lot of what you said there because, uh, you know, I think there's, it's, it's very rich. Um, you you um, talked about helping them drop back into themselves in a deeper way. Uh, what, what, like, like, what is that place, you know? I mean, I know you could say, and may, maybe there's a way that we're all uniquely, um, of course, unique, uh, we have a unique essence or something, but, what, what's this place that, that you help people drop into? It's a state of being that I think all of us know. Sometimes I talk about it as you have your little S self and your big S self. Um, and we all have our little S self, and that's a state of mind of our ordinary day-to-day life. It's solving problems. It's taking care of tasks and errands and our deliverables and all of that. And we all know that state very well, and so do they. There's also a big S self which in a workshop context is kind of a peak experience, right? There's catharsis and there's these like amazing relationships happening in a very short time. And, and we ourselves as teachers and coaches in those situations also are in a peak state, right? Where we're just in a constant state of flow and emergence. And or it's very hard to do that in your day-to-day life, even for people who coach and teach all the time. However, um, I think part of our duty right now is to call ourselves into the parts of us that have a much deeper source of wisdom and a deeper source of clarity and a deeper source of compassion and creativity and courage that we often have when we're teaching or I guess for many people also when they're coaching um, to not let ourselves bring our small s self towards clients but to bring our big s self which you know is a sense of interconnection. It is a sense that things are still possible. It is a sense of of ease and hope and not forcing and not focused on actions and not focused on short-term decision-making. There's a deeper wisdom in us and a deeper wisdom in them. And helping each other find that is a huge role. And I will say to you, like when I started talking to you a few minutes ago, I myself felt not closed off, but just in sort of a day-to-day mind, you know, not in this, not even close to my own source. Mm. Literally just looking at you, hearing your voice, being in your presence, immediately 
I shifted down to a deeper connection to my own core. And that's a phenomenal service that you did in like a few minutes. Mm. So we can do it very quickly. We can call people into something deeper very quickly. We can invoke their deeper wisdom quickly. It doesn't have to be anything we do. I mean, you did that with the state of your presence and the quality of being that you are maybe just naturally every day bringing to everything you do. You definitely brought it to this conversation. Yeah. And it really, it really, it changes everything. Well, yeah, I, lo- I love what you're saying. And um, it is incredibly important to me what you're pointing out, this sense of um, presence or this, you know, deeper aspect of who we are, the, the bigger self. Uh, I think it's it's incredibly important in the work I do with people. And I'm curious if, you know, because you're working with some really high-profile leaders and high-profile companies, how uh, receptive do you find those people uh, to, you know, going, you know, opening to this kind of idea, which I think, you know, it's, it's for me, it's of its time, yeah? It's like, the, and, in, and in situations like with this coronavirus now, it, it highlights it even more, you know? The, the necessity to kind of be able to root ourselves in this bigger self. Um, I'm just curious how open you find uh, the leaders you work with to going in these territories. I think with the right frame, there's an unbelievable hunger, thirst, and people couldn't be more dehydrated than they are right now, distant from themselves and from everyone around them. And, lost a sense of purpose and all of that what i do is frame what we're doing not as psychological and not even as spiritual but as mythological Mm. and that enables me to draw on ancient wisdom on socrates plato aristotle greek philosophers and i can create the the surround sound let's say of you know the greek philosophers were walking around with incredible aesthetic surrounding them poetry sculpture dance movement art and beauty architecture and um you can create a very rich environment to call people into that and that's not scary and that's a lot less i mean it's out of their comfort zone but it doesn't freak them out the way some of the other frames we use for ourselves you know developing ourselves professionally it gives a lot of permission. Mm. And I think that framing helps them feel safe. And it is, in fact, I think, a true framing of at least what I'm doing. Yeah. And I know we were going to play music and maybe we're getting close to the point where we might play a song. Um, and I, before that, I, I think that um, aside from um, the mythological being, uh, you know, a portal into this bigger self, um, there's something also... Um, like we've lost that, you know. Absolutely. Um, like my my journey over the last few years, I um came into the spiritual work through a kind of um you know Zogchen Mahamudra Buddhism, and um it, it was very powerful, but it like it had this flavor of like a kind of crystal clear. Uh, empty mountainside, you know, like the bright blue sky. I mean, I'm trying to kind of metaphorically describe it. No, I get it. When I came across the work of um, 
people like um, Carl Jung and um, who's the other guy I'm thinking of? Um, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, Joseph Campbell. And, oh, really? And, um, yeah. Um, I mean, these are two of the the thinkers that have influenced my work the most, Carl Jung and right. Joseph Campbell. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and basically this whole idea of the mythological, the imaginal, you know, this almost exactly. like poetic mind, yeah. this poetic yeah. dimension of like, that was incredible for me because it was a very different flavor to the Tibetan Mahamudra, although that has so many flavors in it, I want to acknowledge. But um, suddenly there was this like, um, uh, richness and sensuality uh, of uh, to life, you know, everything was imbued with a sense of meaning and beauty in a way that was incredibly transformational. So, um, like, what I want to volley that back to you and see what that brings up for you as I say just those things. Well, so many things. Um, I really understand what you're saying. That's the first thing. The second thing is to say a word about the context in which I'm putting myth. Mm. Um, and I'll say, I'll say it pretty quickly, but I do unpack it more with people, which is, and it'll get to your, to your point in a minute, which is having ethos in the center. Uh, you know, if you're making this a visual, you might have ethos in the center, which is your sense of character, your sense of values, your sense of core right and wrong, your sense of faith. And I'm always telling people, like, what we're trying to do is not change that not trying to change the core essence of who you are. What you what you see is the best parts of your character. We're not trying to change that. There are other parts that sort of surround ethos, which of course gave us the word ethical, which include pathos, eros, mythos, um, and logos. Logos is the world, the word that most of our clients, I think, hang out in most of the time which is, you know, what's objective, what's linear, what's observable, what's describable, I mean, what's, what's concrete, right? And pathos, which gave us the word empathy, gave us the word pathetic, not as in, you know, you're a loser, pathetic as in um, suffering, a suffering person would be a closer definition to the meaning of pathos is all the range of human emotion, is the depth of pain of connecting with the suffering in the world and giving business people the portal, I love your word portal, the portal of pathos. You know, this is an ancient concept, an ancient experience, gives a lot of permission into their felt experience. Mm. Mythos is what's connecting their life experience to like Mm. the grand human story. It has symbolism, it has archetypes in it, it has more versatility and flexibility because you step entirely outside the story, which is usually a limiting story, that you're telling yourself and ask yourself, you know, if you're the great hero or heroine of this grand play called Your Life and how it fits into the greater purpose of life with capital L, not a little L, but a capital L, um, you know, what's the personal or leadership myth you're living and what's the invitation life is giving you to the next chapter of that story and trying to sort of lift that up. What I really like is that the word mythological has logos and mythos in it. So we're not saying because you connect to the story, you should disown, reject, or transform the part of you that's analytically competent and capable. It's great, you're a problem solver. It's great, you can put information together together. 
but can you have logos and mythos together? So you can sort of toggle between the completely physical material plane and something grander, something more noble, something higher, something deeper. Eros uh, is, I think, what you're talking about. And Eros doesn't mean erotic the way that we think of it. It's not, um, you know, we've kind of cordoned off eros into something erotic or something sexual, but that's not what it originally meant. Eros is vitality. It's what you're talking about. It's um, feeling alive, feeling embodied, feeling... You used a word that really um, out of my mind, but it connected me. Uh, it immediately made me think about eros. It's helping people who feel kind of deadened to feel alive. It's reclaiming their life force. It makes them feel full and happy. <laughs> and, you know... Um, you know, that's why we get to places in workshops where people dance, you know, people sing, genuinely, people sing and dance, because that's who they actually are. They're alive, they're artistic, they're beautiful, and in their natural essence, people mm. are not dead inside. People mm. are not, you know, cut off, and so I don't in any way mean to attribute uh, or connect a Buddhist practice from being dead inside at mm. all. So let me, that's not what I was meaning to say, but there, to some of the contemplative practices, as opposed to some of the ecstatic practices, some of the contemplative practices, which are aiming to still the mind, which can put you into a remarkable state, the state of pure stillness and pure awareness, is not the same thing as Eros, let's just say. So, you know, mm. if you have a chanting practice or you're a Sufi dancer, you know, you also get to a place of awareness, but you get there through flow and not through stillness. You get there through music or ecstatic chant and not through silence. Mm -hmm. And in the work that I'm doing, I think both contemplative practice and ecstatic practice have a place. And either tradition tends to diminish the value of the other one. And what you're describing is, you know, you found the the depth of the power of contemplative practice and then you started to find you know depth psychology and myth and when you put them all together that's a pretty timeless compelling path to wisdom mm. yeah wow beautifully articulated and i i love that um um well well i could I, i've got so many questions but do you want to play a song here is that would that work i love it so so this is an example of trying to call someone out of s with a uh, self with a little s and into self with a big s or another way of saying that would be and you mentioned this earlier you know the sense of life my life my drama my problems my narrative my challenges um, and get into the bigger sense of life has called me to a purpose life has called me to a destiny and i have a role to play and i think for leaders they know that or they knew it and they need to be reminded and that's something that we can do that we can provide because we see them that way so here's a song that I that I often use and if you can imagine it as a coach or as a teacher people are laying on the floor and we have the lights down and people you know have a we give them a pillow and a blanket and ask them to take do some deep breathing before we start and then I played this song three times in a row so they can really drop into it. And here's the song. May I suggest, may I suggest to you, may I suggest this is the best part of your life. 
May I suggest this time is blessed for you. This time is blessed and shining, almost blinding bright. Just turn your head, and you'll begin to see the thousand reasons that were just beyond your sight. The reasons why, why I suggest to you. Why I suggest this is the best part of your life. There is a world that's been dressed. So one thing that I love about that is it does bring you into space of contemplative silence. I mean, what do you say after that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm struck by how obvious that is. Yeah, like how obvious the 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 call, the the music that that song, what you know, the call that it brought me, you know, into that exactly. contemplative space, and and how it opened my heart, tenderized me. Exactly. And, and so how potent that is. What mm. we do after that, we play it several times, and you can feel the room just drop and drop and drop and um, then we ask them which I know resonates with you two questions and send them out to either walk in silence walk we often are somewhere beautiful near the ocean or in a forest and ask them to go walk outside and either just walk or write two questions what does life want for you capital L what does life want for you and what does life want from you hmm. and Obviously, part of what the song does is, it, you know, it's just such a beautiful, what I often call, you know, calling people to the true nobility of leadership. You know, what's, there's a special, unique treasure chest for you. You know, there's a special request to you and only you, only for your eyes. And you know what it is, right? Deep down, you know what it is. All you have to do is turn your head and there it is. You know, people come in thinking like, oh, what's my next thing? And should I stay? Should I go? And to say to them, not say, but to present them to the awareness that in a really deep core inner place connected to their deep source and their deep wisdom, they do know. They know what their path and destiny calls from them. And so it's often just a reminder. Um, I also would love to play you one more song because... It really expresses the depth of the humanity that we acknowledge in the people. And I had said to you earlier, after spending this time, after sharing this experience, you know, in the coaching, it's so easy to bring them back into that space. And what I love about being with people at this depth, and I'm sure, again, many of the people who are listening, many of the coaches who are on this transformational coaching path know, is that even a professional person and an executive uh, as you said a lot of my clients are senior leaders who seem either tough cold and detached or uh, intimidating aggressive overpowering people often come to these you know word on the street is this person is a bully um, this person really has no people skills when you cut past all of that to the depth there's always a beautiful human being and Often it's been a very, very, very long time since anyone has reflected 
I see your humanity and I think you're beautiful. But to hold them that way is not to deny that they need to change the mindset that's creating their intimidating behavior. Of course, they need to do that. <laughs> you know, it's not to say we're not going to help them find a mindset that's true for them where they actually feel care and compassion for people and yet to come from the stance that I see your essence. I see the light and the radiance in your essence. A start from that blessing is a whole different coaching experience for them, for sure. So I would mm. love to share one other song that we often play because I think this is one of the places in the experience that does have a transformation. It's a turning point. It's an inflection point. Mm. So can I share one more song too? Please, yeah. Well, then I have to find it. Thank you for letting me add the songs. It's the best way I can convey. You know, oh. nothing, I, nothing I say can convey this, the, the kind of blessing that I'm wanting to give and, and trying to give to people is often very little from what I say. Yeah. And it, well, just to say something whilst you find the song, um, I'm struck by the synchronicity in my life these days. You know, So I shared with you before we started recording that um, my wish was to make the podcast more of a kind of, you know, artistic experience, you know, and I've been sat with that thought. And then, you know, you come along and you say, maybe I can play some music. And I'm like, that's perfect. And the other thing I want to say is when I grew up, I listened to this um, Radio 4 in England, and one of the shows was Desert Island Discs. Famous people would play there, you know, um, what songs would you take with you on onto this desert island you know? and so they would talk a bit and then play the music play and the love song. that show you know and so it's got a bit of that Fantastic. vibe to me now all your threads are coming together <laughs> that's yeah. awesome that's really beautiful mm. yeah mm. okay here's the next song I found it How could anyone ever tell you You were anything less than beautiful How could anyone ever tell you You were less than whole How could anyone fail to notice That your loving is a miracle How deeply you're connected to my soul How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful How could anyone ever tell you You were less than whole How could anyone fail to notice That your loving is a miracle How deeply you're connected to my soul How could anyone ever tell you You were anything less than beautiful how could anyone ever tell you you were less than whole? Can I just share um, what strikes me with that song is this um, almost this sense of like the mother archetype, like, um, you know, being held and, and almost being like a child or a baby and, and spoken to in that sense. It goes so deep inside, you know, and it's like, oh, like it's actually... Um, kind of like what's the word not painful but it's like uh, bittersweet you know like it, it, it that alchemical feeling of like um, 
feeling that love, uh, that, un- that unconditional love, and the, the 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 kind of alchemy that takes place there. Um, it's beautiful. I'm really touched. So I couldn't really describe better either the purpose or the impact of the song and the song expresses a stance that I'm carrying. And what's I think important is that it's not a personal mother, it's an archetypal mother. Mm. The reason that that matters is if you don't walk that line carefully, then you have potentially the impact of regressing people. Right, um, putting them into their own childhood experience or connecting them so deeply with their own child experience in which they may have really longed for love that they didn't get. Mm. Then you are, and maybe you're doing this purposely, but potentially right in the heart of their trauma, right in the heart of their very painful stories. And that's a hugely valuable thing to do, but it's not what winning from within is doing. Mm. So you could say you could go into the past and find a trauma and try to heal it to bring someone into the present. And the stance I have is to find this beautiful, wounded, high-functioning person and call them forward to a forward experience of wholeness, to a future-oriented toward all of who they are, the beauty of who they are, the essential lovableness of who they are. Which is not to say that we don't touch on people's past life experiences that created pain and that created wounds, because we do, but the intention is different. And the primal, universal, timeless, archetypal dynamic that you're talking to, the love of like the great mother, right? The love of the earth mother um, for all of the earthly creatures. I mean, um, the love of the mother, right? That's an archetypal energy to plug into. And that is part of what I'm representing for them because there's a purity of the love and they feel that. Even though these are people who, you know, 15 million people perhaps report to them or, you know, they move billions and trillions of dollars in the global economy every year, they still deeply need the blessing of the Great Mother. And they receive it. And this is an example of where I can give that blessing through the song. And of course, there's a lot of context around it, and that song is not on the first day. Um, And there's um, that there's a real trust. But what that transmission is, is not of personal love. It's of universal love. In other words, it doesn't matter if I like the people specifically and I don't love them specifically. I do deeply experience radical, unconditional love for every one of them. I genuinely experience that. I feel that. I feel an overwhelming sense of love. And it's real. And it's symbolic. And it's present in the moment. And I don't a month later, experience that depth of love because that container has been closed. But in that container, which is deeply 
archetypal, deeply mythological, deeply symbolic, deeply working with these universal timeless energies, which again, I wouldn't want someone to do without, you know, the, the, the proper training and experience to do that. If you don't want to play with these energies, that could be quite harmful to the person and to you. Because um, even working with love energy can be very confusing. Mm. If you don't have a lot of experience knowing the difference between personal love and universal love, you could get confused. I'm not confused because I've had a long time knowing and living in the deep difference between <laughs> those two things. You know, what transpersonal love is and, and personal love is. But what you're saying is completely correct, that there's an energetic transmission of blessing. And I haven't found an executive yet who didn't need in some way or benefit from that blessing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is, um, you know, I talked about synchronicity before, and um, I feel now there's a wave moving through the world. And this work that you're describing really beautifully articulates that wave of um this kind of mythological work you know or like the word soul for me which i would never have used five years ago i would have considered it even or 10 years ago or whatever i would have considered it um you know um well i don't know new agey or something yeah, i don't know yeah they're certainly out of bounds yeah. yeah and um and you know it feels like there's a shift taking place we've lit you know through the kind of um enlightenment era and the industrial revolution which kind of emphasized the the you know the the rational analytical mind and brought us incredible um gifts as well so i don't mean to denigrate that that part of us but it's like it became the king over everything else that's right um it's brought a lot of harm it feels like and um it feels to me like this is one of the um, I don't know if the word would be antidote or like the evolution out of that. It's yeah. 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 Like this, this beauty and goodness and mythos and eros that, you know, people are starved for in the world. So I just want to name that. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree with that more. I absolutely agree with that. And a blessing I would want to give to anyone listening is, to move beyond the idea, which I think a lot of us use, the idea of the left brain and the right brain, the left brain being more linear, fact-based, information-based, and the right brain being more artistic, more symbolic, more based on story than data, that that's an experience you can give your clients and not just an idea. And it is also more than but again, I think a lot of us do, and that's a huge positive evolution from maybe five or ten years ago. Um, perhaps um, people have various um, tangible, tactile things, you know, building things with Legos or using art supplies to create a picture. And that's completely directionally right, in my view, um, as a teacher. And you could go further than that. So I, for example, for every one of the people I work with, I just sense into them, I sense into their being, and I give them a song. And I tell them, this is your essence song. And it's a very intimate process of being with someone. And 
I don't think about it. I don't have like these, except for the two I just gave you, which are basic workshop songs. I don't have like, these are the 20 songs and I look for the person. Usually what I do is I just think about them before I go to sleep and I wake up in the middle of the night. I have a little book next to my desk when I'm teaching because then I, I, that's when I am in my most, you know, clear, see myself most able to access myself as a vessel and as a channel and not thinking things through. And I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm dreaming and the song comes to me, it just appears for me. So I give people an essence song and sometimes I give them a song that represents where I think they're blocked. I could share one of those with you too, where I think they're stuck and give them a song that I think represents or feels to me that it represents the path of wholeness that they're on. And people use these songs. I tell them before you're going to a huge meeting or you're giving a big town hall, play your essence song or play the song that is calling you forward. And they do that. And um, you can go a lot deeper. I would call many of these things artistic or symbolic. You might think of them as right brain. And there's, there can be much more artistry in coaching. And people can give themselves more permission to lean into what's an evocative experience that this person can have in this moment. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that, that's important, huh? what you just said there, an evocative experience. Evoking. What is it evoking in them? You know, and this... Um, you know, this transpersonal kind of nature of the self, like this mythological self. Um, I, I, let's talk about that a little bit. I want to ask you about what, you know, there's so much in what you just said about you. And I want to know about that, you know, because it's like, what, what is it, what's the work you've done to refine yourself as an instrument in this way? But, mm. um, but let, let's bookmark that for a moment. And, um, um, yeah, like that that idea of like the their like this mythos, you know, like the 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 mythological self. Or um, I'd love to like tease that out a bit more, you know, like how like what the journey is for people with that. You see, like so you you know you're you're sensing into them, you're, you're introducing the idea to them in the first place. You're doing this five day immersion. And then, you know, there's music and stuff. And what do they start to, what happens for them? You know, do they start to articulate this kind of, um, you know, mythological self or what word we use for it? You know, do they, do they get a clearer picture of that? And then they start to kind of live into it in some way. What's that journey like? Great question. In the book that I wrote, Winning From Within, I talk about four fundamental archetypes and, I say, Joseph Campbell said, there's a hero with a thousand faces. And I think trying to master a thousand parts of who you are is quite a lot for a busy executive. Um, so these four are just fundamental, universal, timeless. And I've taught them on every continent except Antarctica. They resonate with people deeply. And we can talk about those later, but um, that's dreamer, thinker, lover, warrior. In the workshop, because I'm there, I can go obviously well beyond a book and be able to name and work with an archetypal path. So for example, someone might have feedback that uh, people don't see them as commanding or they're thinking about moving them from CFO to CEO, but do they really have you know, the leadership? Do they have charisma? Do they have, will they get followership? You know, that's a lot of words. 
And you could even translate that into more precise words and say, you don't have enough executive presence. That's very different than saying to someone, you're carrying a lot of prince energy and we don't feel the king. And you're not going to get this role or succeed in it until we find the way to mature the prince into the king. People get that. And they understand, like, oh, that's my journey to fully inhabit my sovereignty. And that's what's needed for me in the next chapter of my evolution. And then work with that. You know, how do you change the story you're telling yourself about yourself so that other people will change the story they're telling about you? Mm-hmm. And there's an inner journey. I mean, that's just an example, right? Um People sometimes have to move from being an orphan to a parent, right? There's a lot of orphan energy. There's a lot of orphans, by the way, an incredible amount of stories. We could list 10 of them right now, but um, there's often an orphan, right? Peter Pan is an orphan. Annie is an orphan. Um, That people with no parents, right? And you could have that, which is a fundamental sense of brokenness, but it's subtle, but how do we evolve you to be the parent? You're supposed to be leading, you know, a big team of people around the world. So you, you, this orphan energy, this sort of lost, mm-hmm. broken child is not serving. Uh, you could also have a sort of, you know, the magical child, the innocent child and saying, this is beautiful, this part of you that, you know, has great sense of possibility, but there's no gravitas in this sort of, you know, P- Peter Pan, this sort of whimsical, innocent child. So um, giving people a name of a myth Right, that there's that they're part of, and we can connect that in for anybody to a play, uh, to a movie, you know, to a great fairy tale, and say this is the character that you're embodying. But what leadership and life is calling you towards is actually a different character, and that's not a mental shift. That's a deep internal shift. You have to embody the new archetype, and there's also a process of letting go and blessing what was before. So. I think of them as transformational journeys. They're also maturation journeys, you know, growing up internally. So people do leave with a much grander, bigger sense of themselves because we are calling them to inhabit a bigger story about who they are, which is also, of course, the truth of who they are. They just need a little nudge (laughs) sometimes to move forward. Yeah, I I think this is so important what you're sharing now. That's something I actually... Um, wrote myself was my kind of like mythopoetic story and um, um, you know like right from like almost my my, where my end, the end of my life and and um, the the kind of figure and then right back and teased it all out and I found writing that story incredibly moving and of course in a way um, you know and, and there was quite a bit of work that led up to me writing that story you know like that I had to kind of um, uncover some of the the core pieces of that, you know, and um, but you know, of course, writing that story in a way should be very moving, you know, because if it isn't moving, that then it's not going to move you, is it? But um, you know, that that what I want to highlight about what you're saying here is like that's so different, yeah, than than you know, just having someone kind of um, what's your goal for example, you know, like, where do you want to be in two years? And those, those are even can be good questions. Yeah. 
but we're talking about a whole order of magnitude, you know, this kind of like um, mythopoetic power that's contained within that kind of story that you can write that actually even writing it, I would find myself embodying that, that journey, you know, like it would begin to come through and land inside of me, even in the act of writing it. Yeah, that's completely right. And so if you wanted to take that activity or experience or exercise, which of course I completely agree with is very, very, very powerful. What I do with people is often ask them, if you pick four people who are important to you in your life and you imagine them giving a eulogy today, about their experience of you, which is also the best of who you are and um, not all of the best of who you are. It can be painful. You know, if you imagine your child saying, my father wasn't around as much as I would wish or, you know, I'm not sure I ever got to know him. And then ask them to write, of those four people, what's the eulogy you wish that they would give? What would you wish would be the story they tell about you when you're gone? And there's a song for that too. Um, and then ask people, uh, you know, writing down again or talk to a partner, what would you actually have to do in your life? What would you have to change in your fundamental worldview, your belief about your purpose, your belief about what's possible in your relationships, your behavior? What would you actually have to change to get the eulogies you really want to have? And that's a very profound awakening for a lot of people. Mm. Especially, I think, for people who think, you know, I'm doing this now, this very high-paced, high-stress, always traveling, you know, lots of material rewards. I don't see my family very much. I don't talk to my friends anymore, but I can do that later. (laughs) You know, like, really articulating, this is what people would really say to me, say about me. But this is what I wish they would say. This is what I want to be creating or the legacy I want to leave. And then actually having the opportunity to say, well, don't regret it 20 years from now. What do you want to do about it? Do it now. Create the relationships. Create the, you know, change your priorities. Look at how you spend your time and energy. Again, with provocative songs, it's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah part of that process of opening people up beyond the conventional mind, you know, to, to, to stuff that can come through that has a high potency, I think. And, um, well, I'll tell you something also yeah. funny. When I did this exercise myself a couple of years ago, what I noticed was that three of the four people that I was choosing to speak were clients. And I was really struck by that. And I thought, wow, like um, you could pick any four people. And I chose three clients and a family member. So why is that? And I thought, because my clients get the best of me. Like those people are the people who know my true depth, my brilliance, my love, my full power, my deep essence. And I don't think my friends do see that. I don't show it to them. It's hard to show in ordinary life. I'm not sure that even people's spouse or my spouse, you know, can really see that as vividly as someone who experiences the things you and I are talking about. And I found it like a really positive challenge. It was just a huge, like, wow, do you really want at the end of your life, your clients to be the people who got the best of who you are and who saw you in your most wise, powerful, generative, 
liquid flowing state. And I've invested a lot more in my friendships since then mm-hmm. and my relationship with my sisters and feeling like, yeah, I don't want my clients to the people to be the people who knew me best in my depth. Although I think at this moment, that's still largely true. Um, because you put yourself in a completely different state and stance, or I do. Mm. But I am working on it. Well, just, just even that, I think, is important. Because um, I, 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 as you share that, I recognize that in my own life. And um, there's something like very powerful about the permission that's created as a coach for me to access my, absolutely. You know, my deepest yeah. self or higher self or whatever absolutely. you want to call it. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and at the same time, there's something painful for me about the lack of permission that I give myself to inhabit that with, you know, everyone in my life. And, and yet it's an incredibly potent kind of realm of inquiry um, that I do find that gap closing, you know, as I grow. Um, it's like the parts of me that felt like I had to be you know, the good boy or a good partner or um, the nice friend or whatever, you know, like they're, they're like being loved and integrated. And then, yeah, that gap is smaller. Like my highest spiritual realizations can then be embodied in all my relationships more and more. But it's also, yeah, work, lots of work to be done, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I think for all of us, that is one of the real challenges which is if we bring the best of who we are to our work, then that's because, you know, for most of our, our work is a vocation. It's a calling. It's not, you know, a paycheck or an invoice. How can we see the rest of our lives and the rest of our relationships and our sort of day-to-day experience closer to what you said, you know, closer to a state of permission where the best of who we are starts to penetrate and integrate and, are experiences that are outside of coaching, outside of teaching, outside of writing. And how do we get into a state of flow in daily life? And not just when we're in connection to that passion and mission that we all feel. I think that's a journey. I think it's amazing that you're getting that to be smaller and smaller. And I think for all of us, for me personally, it's a challenge. It's really a challenge, but it's a very worthwhile challenge. Yeah. 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 And it keeps me humble too, you know, like, yeah, it, my relationship with my family particularly keeps me humble. Right <laughs> yes, I think probably most people <laughs> feel that way. Yes, um, especially like, I, in, I, in the coronavirus times when everyone's yeah. with their family 24 hours a day. Yeah, oh my God, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's actually going very well and it's very beautiful, but it's also, you know. <laughs> um, well, We've talked about so much today, and I, I do like as we perhaps like draw towards the end of our conversation. Um, we don't need to rush there, but I'd love to ask you like about y- yourself, you know, in terms of um, um, and what's the question I want to ask? But it's like you know, it's based upon what you shared before about the you know you're sensing with your clients what's the song that might fit with them. Um, you know, it often comes to you in these moments. Mm-hmm. You know, to, you know, particular moments or through dreams. Um, like, how do you see your work as a vocation and, and the and the practice that you take on around that? I don't know if that's a clear question, but I'm basically wanting to know, like, um, you know, like, 
how are you developing yourself? How do you see your own development and vocation as a coach? I'm reflecting on your question rather than just uh, spitting out an answer. Yeah. I have really embraced the various parts of who I am because I, I can identify with a lot of them even among my main archetypes that I work with, thinker, dreamer, lover, and warrior, I can inhabit all of those very comfortably. And I've worked over time to have a lot of flexibility and fluidity between those. Just, just name what they are for the listeners as well. And, oh, yeah, you know, We could have done a whole conversation about those. I, <laughs> I thought we were going to. Now I feel terrible. Yeah, but it, <laughs> but it, I think it's their, their friend, their, you know, I recommend people, you mentioned your book, to check that out. Um, it's very resonant, of course, with what we're talking about today. Um, and But maybe you could name, name those now, at least, and maybe we have to do a second podcast in a while about, about those explicitly. Yeah, no, I would love to do that, but I can tell them and use it as a way to answer the question also. So the dreamer is the capacity in you for visioning, for sensing into the future. It's your imagination, creativity, possibility. The thinker, is probably easy to imagine when you think about what it is, but it's logic, facts, clarity, a sense of perspective, a, a way to make sense of things by thinking them through, solving problems. The lover is your source of emotional intelligence, your feelings, your capacity to build trust or repair trust, your ability to collaborate, to turn strong relationships into producing something beautiful. And the warrior is really about taking action, getting things done. It's about performance. It's about courage. It also relates to setting boundaries, learning to say no. And there's a lot of skills. I'd associate three key skills with each of those, what I call the big four, the dreamer, thinker, lover, and warrior. And those also draw out the dreamer works on intuition the thinker works with rationality and logic, the lover works with emotion, and the warrior works with willpower. So some of the journey is developing and owning and respecting your own intuition as much as you respect your own feelings, your own thoughts, and your own impulses to act. So I'm guessing a lot of coaches have an enormous amount of intuition and sensing, or they experience synchronicity, as you've said, or they recognize there's a deeper collective intelligence they can sense into. And I would bet more often than not, don't follow that precisely and trust more their own emotional connection with a client or their, the depth of their own emotional intelligence. And I trust my intuition a lot. I trust my sense and capacity a lot. I believe there's something about you and I doing this podcast together now today after you had the inspiration or longing to have more artistic experience. I believe that that's why I'm doing this now and not a year ago because we called each other together to do this now and for me to bring these songs. That's real. I trust that is a real thing. It's not a coincidence. It's not even serendipity, right? It's synchronicity. So experimenting with intuiting something or, or blessing it. So, for example, I also experience a lot of premonitions. I experience, uh, sometimes scary, uh, 
but sometimes exciting, a sense of knowing what's coming. And I feel I know that globally, but I also know it very specifically and individually, which I use in coaching, right? I have a sense of what's coming for this person and taking that seriously as opposed to like, oh, that's so weird. I kind of thought about that before. Or maybe you're developing the skill of premonition, right? Or um, I kind of knew that. I don't know how I knew it. Well, that's direct knowing. You know, that's not, I read it in a book. I don't know how I knew it. Well, you received a piece of information. That's direct knowing. So having a vocabulary and a trust of what actually intuitive experience is, which again, I think I've developed a lot, is an incredibly powerful tool as a coach or as a human um, or as an advisor. And it gives you an incredible source of insight and direction and guidance and helping someone that's very different than emotional intelligence. And it's very different than behavior-oriented coaching. Um, you know, as you said, with goals or action steps or commitments and, your, you know, a sense of accountability with your coach is all very different than, than a sensing. And, of course, the trick there is also not falling into projection or not falling into your wish for the client and, you know, to be somewhere that they're not. And I don't mean to oversimplify that. It's not simple, but it's very powerful. How how did I mean? Because this has been a topic on our podcast uh, somewhat, and I think that this is really uh, I, I've said this maybe like ten times now in our interview, but this is really important too. That that you know I mentioned that journey of of um, emphasizing the rational mind, and I think one of the the calls right now is for us to embrace these different modes of intelligence or different intelligences or different modes of knowing. You know, like intuition and the the different elements of intuition and, and to, to recognize they are real um, intelligences that we can, we can access. And um, so how, how have you done that? You know, like um, of course it, one answer would might be just through practice. Yeah. Through trial and error practice, you've got to and develop that trust, but how have you done that? Honestly, and I think this is probably true of many people who chose uh, the path of the profession of this audience and this, this um, following, um, I do have some natural gifts in that area. And I think, again, probably a lot of us do. Um, and, and people also probably in this group also have real skill in reading energetic information. So I don't consider factual data any more real or more concrete or more available than energetic data. It's equally real. It's invisible to most people. Um, but over time, I, I have learned to feel it, see it, hear it as concretely as I would a wall, literally. <laughs> I, can, I feel the energetic of a person and the energetic of the stuckness and the energetic of the freedom path. To development, I feel it as concretely as a chair, and so I think that's a lot of it. It's not making stuff up, right? Um, it's reading the energetic situation, and and this is like um, too big of an idea for us to explore now. But there's a collapse of past, present, and future when you do that. You, I can feel into the story of a person and this is what I mean by I don't know why I know that I really don't but you receive information when you're working in this energetic space where I can sense the past 
present and future of this person. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way or, uh, you know, self-inflating way. It, it, it's both, I think, um, an internal wisdom, but it's also a skill, as you say. It's also something you can learn and practice and dream about. And so part of it, I think what I'm trying to say is it's also a leap of faith. Like the symbols and pictures and stories and what you hear and see when you're around this person that you're coaching, that you're advising, you want to hone the skill of how to do it. And then you want to trust the experience you have when you think you are doing it. And if you're just starting, you don't, again, don't want to believe necessarily what you sense. Is that a sense or is that just some coming from you? Like you have to really work on, you know, projection versus intuition but probably most of the coaches in this community have already done a lot of work around that so i'm not sure if i'm answering your question uh, you are yeah about well how how did you um you know like develop that capacity and um hone that capacity and um this yeah i, I like it it makes a lot of sense to me and um i think it's um one of those experiences that um um, well, you know, like it's like when you know it, you know it, yeah. Like it's it's um it's an experience, yeah. So for for some people listening, it might sound a bit far out, yeah. But it, but it's like as I know for me, there are um, aspects of my experience that um, as I've done the injunction, the practice, and then had the experience of it, then I'm like, wow, okay, this is something real, you know? Like I read about it in books and it just seemed a bit crazy or out there, but actually they were right. This is a real experience we can open to, you know? So there's that opening and um, before we open, it might sound a bit far out, but then it becomes quite normal. So Yeah, yeah. and I think there is a quality of, you know, you receive what you create. So... I have a genuine belief in the mystery. I have a genuine belief in synchronicity and, and things that don't make sense that make perfect sense. And I, we have had some wild experiences in some of these workshops. Like someone once said, you know, he had a very distant father. He was a scientist in a lab. And the only thing that they had ever shared was when he was younger, his father had this study of moths. He's very particular moths and he learned all about them. And these moths are indigenous to Australia they literally don't live anywhere else. And the afternoon that he told us this story, we're at a venue in Portugal. He told us that he saw a plant and it was full of these moths mm. that don't exist outside of Australia. Mm. Mm. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's, you can't make sense of that. It doesn't mm. make sense. And it, yet it happened. Mm. And the more you stand, I think, in this sense of wonder of how the energetic of life happens and unfolds, the more absolutely mind-blowing, amazing things that happen mm. like that. And that's, you know, we have examples of that. When I say we, me, you know, the people who I work with at Mobius, we have examples, dozens and dozens of examples. And we think, you know, it's so surprising, but on the other hand, not. Mm. Because these unbelievable things happen all the time, but I think you wouldn't recognize them necessarily or you wouldn't take them seriously unless your stance was, yeah, things make sense that don't make sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Like the, the, you, yeah, you have to, you have to take an orientation. These things are possible. 
um, you know, like the logos of the teaching, you know, in that, in that, maybe I'm using that word logos in a different way, but it's like if you take on a, a logos of a teaching, suddenly it opens up a whole realm of um, experiences that aren't available in other um, realms of teachings, you know? So, yeah, yeah I, I think that's, that's, I think we fundamentally um, underestimate that, that really, yeah. So, it really fits. And um, anything else you want to say? Yeah, go, go ahead. No, I, was, I just keep thinking of these examples, but I won't go on and on. They're just all really kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, um, maybe we, we're close to like playing another song and then we could have like a, uh, you know, like a little closing statements and then, um, yeah, you know. Like, oh, uh, that's lovely. Yeah. You know what I'll do just because we found ourselves there? Um, this is a song that I played for that guy who with the moths mm. um, after he told the story and the whole story of the day, which was him telling how he never had a connection with him and how this is the one thing that they shared. And then him coming back and telling us this happened, that he saw this plant with these moths. Um, so then I played him the song. And that's a way, I think, of, of pulling together what I'm meaning about sensing and looking for a small repair. And in a mythological context, it has more the impact of a ritual or a ceremony of healing. And here's an example of how I tried to do that. Can I tell you that I love you? I love you, but I can't think of right words to say. And I long to tell you that I'm always thinking of you. I'm always thinking of you, but my words just blow away. ends up to one thing honey and I can't think of right words to say So what well, I'm struck by the 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 quality of the music that you choose as well you know like it has has that transmission in it yeah you know each song you picked has a very particular transmission in it yeah so you have a real gift for that oh thank you and yeah it it felt like um if if you think in symbolic terms or mythological terms and you think well if those moths came to the plant to give you a message you know what might the message be what what might the purpose in this moment of those moths showing up here in the moment that you can receive this in your bones what's the healing thing we can offer to that person Mm -hmm. and 
yeah, it just lands. It lands, as you just said, it's a real transmission. Hmm. And there's, there's a lot of blessing in, in paying such precise attention to a person's inner, inner journey to use arts and aesthetics and beauty and love and through music, through drama, through, yeah, all those things. It's, it's the most powerful transformation methodology that I know, um, and it is learnable. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm um, struck by that. I, my my feeling is that this conversation has had that quality to it as well. You know, like that there's a there's a kind of myth uh, imbued within our conversation today with the music and everything. Um, I'm 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 wondering if there's something you would like to say to people listening. Right now, if there is be yeah some something you would share uh, invite them into or just just to share to speak to them, coaches all around the world who are also probably deeply resonant with your mission and you know to supporting people in these times yeah that a lot of us have done a lot of personal and spiritual work on ourselves and a lot of development for decades, for years, with different teachers and different practices. And if there were ever a moment to call on the depth of self that we've all cultivated, it's now. It's now. People need all of us in our greatness to find their own greatness. And we're capable of that. We just really need to lean in and do it. Amen. 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 <laughs> Thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk to you. I'm really touched by meeting you and listening to you and mm-hmm. feeling in your presence. It's really what a lovely privilege. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just receiving that. And um, well, yeah, I, I've uh, this has been an outstanding, outstanding conversation to me and um um you know i'm really i'm really delighted to have met you and your beautiful sister last week as well so it's like you know your family's kind of come into my world um, um but yeah i'm i'm really i'm really touched and and um to to speak with you actually and and to hear about the work you're doing in the world and and the fact that i've said this is really important you know, I mean, maybe seven or eight times in our conversation, I think speaks to the the, the belief I have that the work you're doing is important in the world. So, mm. yeah. Well, I um, I don't have that many friends in the Netherlands, so I'm really happy to meet you personally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like so much simpatico. Um, <laughs> and I also just hugely bless you in your intent which is already manifesting to bring more artistry and uh, what was your word? Mythopoetic mm. uh, conversation, energy, teaching content into your podcast. is like an incredible expression of your actual sense of what's possible in people's craft. And 
I really urge you to notice that you had that wish and it's already happening right now <laughs> in this podcast. And that's really cool. Yeah. And that's a whole conversation too, isn't it? About no, I can't wait. the way these wishes um, can manifest. Um, what, what is it like to access them in the moment? I mean, that's a whole, there's so many things we talked about today, this collapsing of the future and the past and the present, I think is something that I'm very passionate about exploring and, and feel resonance with too. And um, well, let's book, let's kind of like yeah, I'd love write to those do down. I would love to either do another podcast or just have dinner with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One so of we those. Can, uh, yeah. We can do that for sure. And um, well, but let me ask you, where can we find out more about your work as well? I just like to give the people a chance to, you know, explore more of your work. EricaArielFox.com is one way. Um, I also write a weekly column on Forbes.com. Hmm. So if you look up Erica Ariel Fox on Forbes, and I'm writing a lot now, of course, about the inner life of leaders in this coronavirus crisis. So I do that every week. I also put my, my columns from Forbes onto my LinkedIn. So people, if you find me on LinkedIn and follow if you follow me on LinkedIn, you can find those Forbes every week, um, those columns. And yeah, I think that's probably the best way. Hi, me again. Just want to say a big thanks to you for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And I would just name those songs that we played again. We played three songs today in the podcast. It's not something we're going to be commonly doing, just a one-off, but... Uh, for this, you know, educational purpose of, of showing how Erica, you know, works with her clients using music to open up that space. I think it's beautiful. So the three songs we played in order were May I Suggest by Red Molly, How Could Anyone by Libby Roderick, and How Can I Tell You by Cat Stevens. You can buy them on iTunes and other places. Uh, so check those out and we'll be back soon. Uh, if you're not on the mailing list, please sign up, coachesrising.com. You can find our other podcasts there. If you scroll down that homepage, you'll find the sign-up box and you can stay in the loop about the cool stuff we're going to be bringing out. All right, be well. Bye-bye.